This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, welcome to Redefining Success, the show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their careers and lives, what makes them tick and how they define success. I'm Dashran Johan. Dr. Mahalakshmi Arujanan is a biotechnologist. She is the Executive Director of Malaysian Biotechnology Information Centre, MABIC, and is listed as the 100 most influential people in the field of biotechnology by the seventh edition of the Scientific American Worldwide View. Her list of accolades and accomplishments are endless. But what drives her to keep doing what she's doing at the highest level? Dr. Maha joins me on the show today to share her journey. Welcome to the show, Dr. Maha. How are you? I'm fine, Dashran. Thank you for having me today here. All right. Um, Dr. Maha, you are a biotechnologist. What exactly is that? Because it sounds like a very bombastic word. Tell me about the work that you do. Okay, you are right. I'm a biotechnologist, mm-hmm. but also to put things in perspective, I'm a trained biotechnologist. Mm-hmm. I'm not practicing now. Okay. So I went on into science communication, but I will tell you what is biotechnology. So if you see the word biotechnology, it's like two words, right? Bio and technology. So it's biology and technology. So when you add technology to any biological system, then you get a product or services that will be beneficial to humanity and also the planet. So let me give you some example. And okay, before that, let me define the biological system, Mm -hmm. right? So these are living organisms. So human being, animals, crops, plants, they're all living organisms, including microbes, bacteria, virus, and fungi and yeast. So if we do some intervention using technology and we produce a product out of them or a service out of them, then that's biotechnology. Now, it's not just about working with whole organism. It could also be part of the organism. So just taking a cell out of any organisms or even something that's produced by the cell, for example, enzymes, hormone, and you tweak it a little bit, then that's biotechnology. Now, let's go to the examples. Mm -hmm. COVID just ended, right? Right. Almost, okay, almost ended. Mm -hmm. Now, the vaccines are certainly a product for biotechnology. The earlier versions are you take the virus and then you deactivate them so they are not so pathogenic, meaning Mm -hmm. they they don't um, produce the same um, disease when they enter our body. So they're deactivated uh, and then they are used as vaccines. Mm -hmm. Then we had the mRNA vaccine where scientists tweaked the mRNA. They use that as a vaccine. And when that is injected, mRNA produces the protein that triggers immune system to act. So you see, that's biotechnology. One more example is genetically modified crops. So people are afraid of it, but it's really a big boon to support food security and sustainable food production. Okay, uh, say a brinjal, for example. A brinjal that is sprayed 80 times with pesticides before it's harvested. Now you will be thinking the brinjal that you eat has all these residues. So why pesticides are used? Because there is a a borer which bores into the brinjal and then it stays nicely inside. You spray uh, chemicals, it's not going to die and we end up eating the chemicals. So what scientists did was they... um, inserted a gene from a soil bacterium that produces a natural uh, pesticide Hmm. uh, protein. So when this gene is inserted into brinjal, the brinjal plant now produces the protein. So the brinjal is now sort of vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So when the pests come and eat the brinjals, now the pest will die immediately. So no pesticides used. So these are 
some examples of biotechnology. But I tell you what, it's really limitless today what biotechnology can offer us. Absolutely. But I'm very interested also, you said that, you know, you no longer sort of actively practice um, that, but you're more of a science communicator. What exactly does that mean? Okay, again, science communication is just two simple English words, right? <laughs> but a lot of people ask me, what is science right. communication? So science itself is complicated. Like what I told you about mRNA vaccine and what I told you about uh, brinjols. Uh, if I were to even go further, the, uh, the bacteria is called Bacillus thuringiensis, and it's not a simple process as I explained. So science itself is complicated and often it is also seen to be boring right. and often it is also seen to be not related to my to my life. Why should I know about science? And the other thing about some sciences like biotechnology, medical um, therapies, some of it can also be controversial, modifying our, um, our food or right. modifying our genes, uh, gene therapies, stem cell therapies. This can also be controversial. So it has to be communicated in a way where people understand what is being done, what are the risks involved, how do we mitigate the risks, what are the regulations in place so mm. that people understand. Now, who are these people, right? right? It's not just people who you see in the malls, in train stations, but also the policymakers, the politicians, the farmers, the investors, the religious authorities. Mm -hmm. During COVID, we, we heard that uh, vaccines are haram mm -hmm. and also it can cause infertility, which are not true. Mm -hmm. So we need to talk to religious scholars and many other stakeholders so that for me, science communication, why I do it is because I want approval, adoption and acceptance of new technologies that are beneficial. Right. Okay, time for the big picture question, Dr. Maha. How do you define success? Okay, for me, success is being a change agent in my sector. Right. And you know, it's not easy to change anything in a system, even changing someone's perception, changing someone's attitude, changing policies, uh, changing the way how policies are implemented. It's all like it's all like going against the current. And biotechnology is still considered, it's a rapidly advancing technology. It is still considered to be new in many areas. How do we change things so that it's, Accepted, approved and adopted. Mm. So I have to work, I have to like really work um, very hard to build the, uh, to, to create the authority uh, for myself, to have a voice in my sector, to have the ability to uh, voice out. And also I feel I need to be very bold and speak without fear and favour. And this is success to me. And to me, this is not really easy. Right. And I'm wondering, has your definition of success changed over time? Like you, when you define success, right, you are talking about, you know, this ability to change hearts and minds of the people. And when you can change um, people's minds and change people's hearts, then you consider that like, like a success. Um, was that something that uh, your, your idea of success you have because of your current job that you do? Or is the current job that you do because you had that idea of success and this was one of the options available? As a child, I always imagined myself as to be the top in my field. So I, I told myself, whatever field I choose, I want to be the top in my field. And being the top does not mean just for the glamour and the fame, right. but doing something really you know, leaving a legacy behind, mm -hmm. contributing, and your work must have an uh, impact, an impact that changes the world for the better. So over time, when I started getting involved in this, I saw a huge gap that is still not 
uh, field where science does not reach the society. Uh, policymakers, politicians do not understand science. And a lot of science, um, even our students think that science is not worth pursuing. Mm -hmm. So I saw all these gaps and I took it uh, that I want to do something. So that is how, I don't know, I hope I'm answering your question. That's how my childhood um, aspiration tied up to my um, uh, the job that I ended up. Right. And I saw the gap and I think everything tied tied together very well. Okay. Um, why though did you decide to embark on this career path? When I say this career path, not necessarily science communication, but just science because your entire career you've been what working for 20, 30 years now, like it's been revolved around science, right? Why so? Yes, actually you're right. After my master's, I went on to work in four organisations within, mm -hmm. a, within a span of about four to five, uh, seven years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, seven years. And that was uh, the time when I was really looking for a calling. And um, I, w I wanted a job that not just pay me at the end of the day, but also an identity for myself. I wanted to grow in that, in that job, in the sector. I wanted to contribute um, and have that fulfillment. Um, so I chose uh, this field as you said, science communication and to remain in science because I am so fascinated by science. And if you look at, you know, you know, Dashran, you know SDGs, right? Mm -hmm. Sustainable Development right. Goals. And you know the current global challenges, food security. We don't have enough eggs in Malaysia. Right. Malaysia was egg producer and we were exporter of eggs. Um, climate change is very big. And if you look at all these things, pandemic, obesity, whatever problem we have today, I feel... I hope I'm not biased. Science is the answer. Mm. You can have economy, you can have law, but then the underlying driving pillar is science. Right. You have to have science first, then only accountancy comes in, then mm -hmm. only economy comes in, then only policies comes in. So I think all these global challenges that we are facing today can be solved if science is embraced. So that is why I'm so fascinated. Um, and, and when you look under the microscope, you just see... For me, I just feel how great the universe and the creator is. Um, right. And to me also, again, I might be so biased. I apologize to all the others who are not in <laughs> science. Um, science is created for those who believe in universe, even if it's Big Bang Theory or you believe in religion. Science is created by the creator. Right. Law of physics, law of mathematics, law of uh, biology, how you know it's all by the creator. But every other field is man-made. When I was growing up, um, Dr. Maha, I, I loved uh, learning, but not necessarily science. I, I, I like mm. science. I obviously, um, you know, like listen to what the scientists say and all of that. But for me, it was more like history and all of this and literature that, that really got me, you know, got my senses tingling when I was, in, you know, in high school and all. Did you have this, this view of science at a young age itself, this fascination by it? Well, now I'm going to tell you the vulnerable side of me. Right. Um, I I will call myself a late bloomer. Right. Um, as a child, I came from a, a family that, you know, we only spoke Tamil mm -hmm. at home. My father was a teacher and he understood the um, the importance of education. Uh, at one point, he said, all of you are going to start speaking English in, in, in at home. But then it was very difficult for us to switch um, from our, you know, the language that you're really comfortable right. to speaking English at home. So when I went to school, in fact, when I went to kindergarten, my English, in fact, I did not know how to speak in English and BM. The only language I knew was uh, Tamil. So 
I could not really speak to my friends. I, I didn't have, not have many friends in the kindergarten. Then I could not, even if I forget to bring my school book or f- forget to bring my do my homework, I could not explain to my teachers. So that gave me some you know low low esteem. But then I was good in studies actually, mm. but not. I would say I was. I was not like the top of the class, but my maths and science was not good. Ah. Up to, I went to Form 1. Okay. So I was not doing well in maths and science. Um, and maths was something that I could not, especially maths, even science, I, I felt I could not comprehend up to Standard 6. I don't know what stars realigned themselves. <laughs> when I went to Form 1, I quickly picked up maths and I was on the top of the class. Right. Um, and then I said, hey, this is interesting. Then... I started picking up maths and science. I was doing very well in maths and science. And then I went to science stream, which reluctantly, I'll tell you reluctantly, because my father wanted me to go to science stream. I wanted to be a lawyer. But when as the more I went into science, biology, physics, chemistry, and mathematics, um, like what I said earlier, it was just fascinating. It's mm. just another world that explains everything around you. And... So that this is very interesting, right? Because you, there is this stereotype, which I'm sure you've heard of, and you're probably bored of listening to this stereotype that, um, you know, that, that only men are interested in STEM subjects and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and, and, but you are clearly someone who have broken that stereotype. Um, and not only that, like you said, your dad is the one who um, encouraged you to go into science when you wanted to, uh, you know, take up law. But what would you say are some of the barriers that prevent um, many women from pursuing STEM subjects from your vantage point? I think family support probably is one of the things mm. because until today, uh, there are parents who tell their daughters that don't do engineering. Uh, or I know I met a teacher, uh, a trained teacher who did actuarial science and the husband said, no, this is going to, if you go into actuarial science, you're going to spend more time at work, just become a teacher. So you see, People, right. uh, women, girls are prevented from pursuing their dreams in STEM because of family. Mm-hmm. It could be their parents or it could be their spouses. So that's one. The other one is um, also a number of STEM career require you to, uh, it is male dominated. And the stereotype is that you won't do well. There is a glass ceiling. So uh, women, maybe they shy off. There's also the thing with leaky pipe where there are, we have huge talent among women in STEM. Mm-hmm. But when these women are offered a higher position in STEM, they themselves reluctantly, they don't want to take it up because they feel like if I take up higher positions and um, higher roles in STEM, then uh, I have to neglect my family. My family is going to be compromised. My life is going to be compromised. And maybe the other reason could also be I'll be sitting around men and it's not going to be easy managing this man. So I think uh, multiple factors why women are not there. So I think this is what we need to work. And I I also feel we need to give the confidence to women so that they break all these uh, barriers. Would you say that um, some of their concerns and fears are legitimate in the sense that, um, you know, it is a a challenge when it's this patriarchal sort of male-dominated thing, bro club, for example, issues of sexual harassment and, and so on and so forth. Are these genuine concerns, you know, that that people have that something needs to change at the top? Um, while yes, women need to pursue and women need to go for it, something needs to something's got to give at the top. Also, changes need to be made so that it's a more hospitable and and welcoming environment um, for women. 
I think these are completely legitimate mm-hmm. because I live with that as well. Right. Yeah. So um, the uh, the boys club is a real thing, especially in engineering. So even in academic institutions, there are uh, th- there are boys club. Not every work decisions are made in the boardroom, in the meeting room. It's made in the pantry. It's made mm-hmm. in a golf club. It's made somewhere else. And women, me, I would rather come back because I have to cook. I have to take care of my children. I have to send them for classes. And we are still the primary caregivers. The cultural thing is still there. Even in my home, my husband is changing so much, but I had to always argue with him and put my foot down and say, look, we share these responsibilities. Absolutely. Yeah. So the boys club is a real thing. And I think that has to be broken and how women can also... Now things are also changing. Mm-hmm. I want to also talk about... I'm a board member of Malaysian Board of Technologists. Right. So these are all technologies, which is really STEM mm-hmm. and a lot of male dominant sectors and uh, we have our own women's chapter so things are happening you know we try to do a lot of things many other sectors are also doing that it is still uh, difficult and sexual harassment is real and I personally because I don't look my age so whenever I go to a new audience overseas even Malaysia especially overseas until I take the stage I take the podium no one comes and approaches me and talk to me once I come down from the podium then is then people come to me and say oh Dr. Ma I didn't know you were a speaker I thought you were a postgraduate student so but it doesn't happen to a man right yeah man Absolutely. can look young man can look you know but they're still considered to be expert but women have to be like look old and you know to to show our wisdom our grey hair to show our wisdom so these things you know have to change On the show with me today is Dr. Mahalakshmi Arujanan she's a biotechnologist and a science communicator after the break we discuss some of the challenges that she's faced in this field keep it here on Redefining Success BFM 89.9 Welcome back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Mahalakshmi Arujanan. She's a biotechnologist. Dr. Maha, I'm very curious um, about the evolution of your career um, because it has evolved since you, you, you went to your, did your degree and then your master's to what you're doing today. Um, tell me about what, what you studied and how your career has evolved over the years. Okay, so as I said, after right after my master's, I went on uh, for seven years, four jobs, and I was really looking for a calling. Mm-hmm. And um, I worked in two international organizations, one uh, uh, MNC right. based in Swiss, one international organization, two local companies. And I couldn't find um, real what I really wanted to do and where I'll be valued, where I'll learn, where I'll grow. Uh, the MNC was good, but then uh, during that time, late 90s, uh, these companies were working on agrochemicals. They all merged, so I was retrenched. Uh, then what happened was when I joined Malaysian Biotechnology Information Centre, I was thrown into policies, regulation, science, communication, and I was completely a science graduate. So I was completely lost. Um, I thought, again, I was going to look for a job. But then when I explored further, I realised science communication is as important as doing research. Research in the lab is good. They publish in journal papers, but if it doesn't reach the decision makers, it's not going to be of use to anyone. And we know there are policies and regulations that are so stringent that new technologies are not taking off, which can really help us with the global challenges. So when I saw that and the societies do not understand science, look at COVID, infodemic. People were telling all kinds of things about vaccine, didn't want vaccines. So that is still happening right now. Even today, when we have many 
in many communities when they are diagnosed of cancer, the first thing is they go to alternative treatments mm -hmm. and not to the hospital. So there's a lot of misinformation and lack of science literacy. So when I saw that, and the other thing I saw was there was no proper science communication in Malaysia. No one trained academically trained. So I went on to do a PhD and be the first academically trained uh, science communicator in Malaysia. And everything was done ad hoc until even today. There's no proper funding policies for science communication. So these are the things that I feel, you know, that the change agent that I was talking about. Right. I think that is how it evolved. And today, I'm happy to say that some people tell me that Dr. Maha is a brand name. So, uh, well, I use it for, I use it not for myself, but I use it to create right. the change that I want. Right. You're someone who, like you've just mentioned, you did your master's, your PhD. Um, was this a conscious choice? I'm wondering how postgraduate studies help one excel in STEM fields. Oh, yes, I like this question. <laughs> now, yes, it is a conscious uh, ch choice. Now, when I did my master's, in fact, when I went to University Put Putra, Malaysia to okay. do my first degree in microbiology, I told myself I'm going to be a scientist. At that time, it was like, HIV, AIDS was a big thing. And I was like bragging and I said, I'm going to be a scientist in virology. I want to find a cure vaccine for uh, HIV. Of course, uh, you know, very ambitious. But then I, that is why I immediately um, went to UM. I wanted a different university. I went to UM to do my master's. I was still excited about being in the lab. But at the end, I think I lost it. So when I finished my master's, I said, probably not a scientist. I'm not a scientist material. I cannot be, I don't want to be cooped up in a in a research lab. Right. So then I said, okay, if I don't want to be a scientist, why do a PhD? So I said, okay, let me go out, get out of the ivory tower and explore and see what I want to do. So four years, uh, seven years, four jobs, and then Mabic. And, and then I was exposed to science communication, which was completely a new field. Then Again, what happened was I was already traveling around the world and I was a panelist speaker. But when I'm a speaker, I see the person in, before me is Dr. So-and-so. The person after me is Dr. So-and-so. And I here I, I come, Miss Maha is the next speaker. So I said, hey, look, I think I'm as good as them. But something is still lacking. Right. I think in my space, in my field, a PhD will really open doors for me. So then I said, okay, I have to do my, my PhD. And I tell you, Dashran, my PhD was overnight. It was already there, right, when I went into to UPM. So it was always subconsciously I wanted to be a scientist, which means I would have done my PhD. So it was there, but then hidden below my children, my family, <laughs> my career and everything. So when that happened, I said, a PhD, it, it is. So the first thing I did was I called my father, my late father, and I said, Appa, I want to do PhD. He said, go all out for it. Unfortunately, when I got my PhD, he was not there to see it. It's, it's a big thing that I still missed. Um, so yes, but again, you see, being a woman, a PhD is not something that... So I, what happened was I was uh, looking around where to do my PhD, and it's a new field. Um, I called people in Singapore University, Australian University, and they said it's a residential program. Right. And my children were seven and eight at that mm. time. Young children, I said, okay, I can't, I don't think I want to leave them. Now, number two was if I go and do my PhD in Australia or Singapore, when I come back, I will. I don't have a job and there are no right. employers for science communication. Nice to have a DR in front of my name, but then I will be jobless. So I said, okay, I have to, I have to compromise. So I went to UM, got someone who is remotely related to science communication. In fact, not even related to science <laughs> communication because PhD is your own field. Right. Uh, yeah. So 
that my PhD journey is another and uh, good for another show. <laughs> uh, I come back crying every day because it was a new new thing. No one understood me, uh, but I got a consultant from Australia that was to cut everything short, uh, and he unofficially he became my supervisor. I got my PhD in four years, but you know that is that is the thing that I went through. In um, traveling, career, PhD, young children, not compromising their activities, their studies. But today, Dashran, I want to tell you something. Uh, women are luckier today because there are organizations that give scholarship to women who even take their children with them. So mm. accompanying children get support as well. So British Council, please, those who are listening, check out British Council website. They are giving scholarships to study in selected UK universities in STEM areas with support for uh, children. Dr. Maha, I picked up on something you mentioned a couple of times throughout this conversation already. So earlier, you, I mean, you just talked about how when you went into university, you had this, you know, I am going to uh, do really well. Not just that, I'm going to find the cure for HIV. Um, earlier, you talked about how you know, growing up as a teenager, you were like, I want to be top of the class. I want to, you know, do really well. Where does that mindset come from? Did you always have that? Or was it something that you you cultivated over the years? It came from my father. Mm. My father had so much of hope on me because I don't know. You see, I I I told you that I was a late bloomer, but I think it's something that as, maybe because he was a teacher, he could have seen something. But um, he he really say, um, he has. I've heard him telling people when we have relatives at home, I know she'll be someone one day. Right. So that was like a big thing. Then I I. Even I did not know. And then he told me, no, you are going far. Go all out and do what you want to do. So that really came from my father. And uh, that was what pushed me. Now, here I think I want to say something. Mm -hmm. What Usually when we see little children, what do we ask them? What do you want to become? Right. I think that's a wrong question. Mm. We should ask, what do you want to contribute? You can become a doctor, so what? Mm-hmm. You can become a GP, so what? But as a doctor, what do you want to contribute? Oh, I want to find an invasive surgery uh, f- to treat this. So I think it's not about what you want to become because we've got so many doctors, we've got so many lawyers, engineers, teachers, whatever. But in your field, what is that that you want to contribute? I think that was in me. So even today, I still feel my journey has got a lot of more things that I want to do. Your career is very unique. Um, so what does your day-to-day work life look like? Okay, so this is why I'm a science communicator. Mm-hmm. As a science communicator, my day-to-day work is completely non-routine, completely mm-hmm. non-conventional. I'm sitting here in your studio in BFM. Right. It's a, it's my day. It's my work day, mm-hmm. talking about science and getting more women in science, getting more people to say, okay, I want to increase my science literacy. So that's part of my job. Tomorrow, I might be in a school talking to small children below uh, age of 12 and telling them why science is important, why you need to study science. The day after tomorrow, I may, might be flying to an African country, talking to ministers, why you need to approve the Biosafety Act so that your farmers will be able to plant GM crops. So, you see, it's completely non-conventional. And I could be talking to investors. I could be talking to um, to religious scholars, which I've done. I've, spo- I've organized dialogues between scientists and ulama, mm-hmm. international ulamas, including Malaysian ulamas, on, um, on um, you know, to, br- to discuss if GM foods are halal or haram. Right. So my day-to-day job is, is so different. I've given interviews in farms. Uh, I've visited farmers. 
I think it's really exciting. It really, it sounds really exciting as well. Um, what are some of the challenges you face throughout your career? Every time in a panel, I see, turn around and I see I'm the only woman there. Uh, so to be on the top, I still feel there are not enough women. Although we have a pool of women, you know, who are good. I think they have to be identified and put on the on, on the uh, front. So uh, the uh, the challenges. Mm-hmm. Now, the challenges specifically in my field, science communication, is still perceived to be like... Um, I feel a lot, even a lot of scientists, those in STEM, they don't understand why enhancing or improving their science communication skills are important. They don't mm-hmm. understand if you can tell a better story about your research, your technology, you're going to get investors, you're going to get collaborators, you're going to get public support, uh, you're going to get in- institutional support. So those in STEM, they don't understand that. And then there's no funding for science communication. In Malaysia, I feel science communication is still perceived to be uh, making science look fun, which is one part, one small part of science. But I do heavyweight science communication, influencing policies, regulations, talking to decision makers, um, talking to investors. So uh, I even founded the first science newspaper in Malaysia, and I think it's the first in the region as well. Um, I founded the the Asian short course in agribiotechnology, biosafety, and communication because I wanted more Asian regulators and scientists to understand agribiotechnology and the policies. So I did a lot of all these things, but it's like, it's still like, you know, to get the political support, to get funding, to get industrial support, it's still very difficult. Do you face um, challenges? And and I'm wondering what is your approach um, when it comes to communicating um, with, let's say, um, hyper-religious um, groups or, you know, perhaps uh, very right-wing groups or, or just very conservative groups. For example, um, like you talk about, um, um, you know, some may say, um, you know, that the vaccine vaccine is haram or some may say that LGBT people do not, re- uh, do not deserve HIV treatment. How do you communicate the science um, to these groups? Okay, the first thing is... Um I feel a lot of concerns. There are two types of concern. One mm-hmm. is legitimate concerns, like uh, is the vaccine haram? I think it's a legitimate concern, right. right? We need to tell them, look, this is how it is developed and mm-hmm. these are the ingredients and the final product is halal. Mm-hmm. So I think that needs to be addressed. Now, there are also non-legitimate concerns, like just what if if I eat GM crops and then 50 years down the road, this happens. Is it, um, uh, how much of studies is, did you really do a feeding study? Mm -hmm. Now, no food has gone through a feeding study. You take Tongkat Ali, it doesn't go through a feeding uh, feeding study. So, so that these are like all the what if Hollywood fiction, uh, science uh, fictional type of questions. And a lot of people also have this ideology that, uh, all this new science is going to be, we should go back to n- nature. So what I do is when it's legitimate, uh, we go back back to the values. And I appreciate the values of Sharia principles. Mm-hmm. And of course, what our Muslim friends um, consume or inject or whatever they use has to be halal. So the the um, our goals are similar. We want to give halal approaches, tools and uh, to our Muslim friends. Right. But our approaches might be different. Our approaches are we are going to modern biotechnology. Mm-hmm. So I think what I do is when I first communicate to those who are not on the same page, I go back to the value. I said, yes, we want halal. We want safety. If you think GM is not safe, we uh, if stem cells are not safe. So our destination is the same. Safety for everyone, 
um, religiously compliant for everyone. But now let me tell you how our approach is. So when you agree with the value, at least you open the doors for conversation and um, they feel like they want to listen to you. But if you immediately say that, I don't agree with you because it's 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 halal. What is your problem? So we can't go on with you know bulldozing our views. So mm-hmm. it's so important to go back to the values and not starting your conversation with science. Right. Start your conversation with values. I think that that is very important. Yeah, I think that's very, very fascinating. Um, earlier you talked about your challenges that you have faced. So despite the various challenges that you have faced and continue to face today, what drives you to keep doing what you're doing? Why don't you say, okay, I want to do something else? Hope and small wins. We have small wins all the Mm -hmm. way. So these small wins, when you're down, you say, okay, one step ahead. It's okay. I think it can still happen. And also, I think COVID was a big lesson. People were against, a lot of people even before that, they were against vaccines. They were not into science. But during COVID, you saw science everywhere, on the front page every day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Scientists being interviewed every day, doctors being interviewed. So I see that now science, people see science as something that is important to their life. Now, what keeps me going is I believe that, you know, the global challenges as well, um, food insecurity, climate change, and um, all kind of health issues. I think all these things needs to be solved. If not, I don't know what's the end we are Mm -hmm. going to and what, what our children, our next generation is going to inherit. So all these things keeps me going and these small wins are really like uh, like a drug you know mm-hmm. uh, when you have a small win and then you feel like you're so high and you want to do more absolutely um what has been or what have been some of the proudest moments of your career thus far i think um one is of course getting my phd mm-hmm. in spite of all the challenges that i faced uh, was my proudest moment the other one was when i was listed as 100 most influential person right in biotechnology in the world mm-hmm. by Scientific America. I think that um, these are some, again, these are also like what keeps me going. Uh, no, not just recognition, but then I feel, okay, there's a lot of pressure, positive pressure. How can I now just keep quiet and, you know, sit at home? So right. when people recognize you, just like how my father recognized right. and identified me, right? So I feel like I need to do more mm-hmm. to to give back to people who have got so much of hope and have, have given me all this limelight so uh, th- those were my power this moment but every time you know i've got this pension for for, for first as well right. not the first for no reason but when i saw there was no science in our mainstream media i uh, founded the first science newspaper in malaysia the petri right. dish mm-hmm. then when i saw we have to go to u.s to be trained in agri-biotechnology biosafety i said not many can go to the u.s budget limitations and time why don't we have an asian short course asian platform so i got the asian short course and then i also founded the science media center in malaysia co-founded it with my another partner tan sulin uh, so all this Things, uh, the first science news, uh, science media center in Malaysia. All these things, I feel like it's so much of hard work. But these are some ac- uh, of the accomplishments that um, make me feel I am contributing. Absolutely. What would you say um, does it take, Dr. Maha, to sustain a career as a scientist in Malaysia, especially if you are, you know, interested in the field of biotechnology or science communication? What does it take? To sustain that as a career? 
perseverance mm. and being different. Mm. I think sustaining a career is not difficult. Science communication can be difficult because there are no employers in Malaysia except right. for Mabik and I can't employ so many people. <laughs> we are not for profit. But being a, if you, if someone is already a scientist in Malaysia uh, in uh, and they've got secured job, sustaining is not difficult. But I think for me, as I said, to be the top in the field, that is difficult. And that requires a lot of resilience perseverance, thinking out of the box, thinking creatively, upskilling themselves throughout so that they can make themselves relevant. So that is that is the challenges. But I think these challenges are also exciting. Right. Uh, because if not, it, it becomes so mundane. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that, right? Because like you said, it, it takes a lot of perseverance um, and it, it takes a lot of dedication. You need to keep working at it. And it's like, it's, it may be easy to just be a scientist, not easy, but relatively, but to be top of the field. That's where the challenge is, right? Talk to me about the kind of effort that you had to put in personally to be who you are today. Well, when I started, as I told you earlier, when I started in this um, journey in science mm-hmm. communication, I myself did not know what is science communication. And as policies, regulations, I was not trained because I did biotechnology in the university. So what I did as a young career uh, professional at that time was I will just go for any relevant um, seminars, conferences, forums that in, in my field. And I will just go there, listen, observe, and then start talking to the resource people, the experts, the speakers there. I built a network. Now, I tell you, network is so important no matter what people in science do. You can be a scientist and don't think just sitting in the lab and churning out all this data and, and, and knowledge is enough. We need network. If not, the science will not go out. Um, so that is so important. So I built my network. Mm-hmm. And the other one was I, I'm very genuine in what I do. So I think people saw that. So I built the trust as well. So I went to I went back to all my professors. That was the first thing I did right. uh, because it was also good that I got my degrees in two different universities. So my network is bigger. Uh, so I went back to my professors. Some were doing very well. Um, Datin Paduka Katija, for example, went on to be uh, Mosti's uh, Deputy Secretary mm-hmm. General, and she was the DVC in UPM for uh, for a while for for a few terms. So my professors were already like some of them, um, Professor Yasmin Rofina Yasmin from U. She is now an entrepreneur. So these people, when I said, look, you know, Malaysia needs more outreach program. Malaysia needs more engagement with policymakers, engagement with media. So media comes out with accurate science reporting. And I, so they said, okay, yeah, it's important. Who is doing it? I said, my organization can do it. Can we do it? Can we do it in collaboration? So my lecturers were supportive. And then the other thing what I did was I went and knocked all the ministries that was relevant to science. Of course, MOSTI, Ministry of Education, Ministry of Plantation, Ministry of um, Health uh, and uh, Agriculture. And I said, look, we are here. We are a not-for-profit organization, but we are fully in support of government's agenda to propel science. Mm -hmm. So I got support from ministries as well. In fact, at one point for a few years, we did work shop nationwide for teachers, science teachers, how they can improve their pedagogy and update themselves with recent developments in biotechnology. So their classrooms are exciting. Um, So we did all those things with Ministry of of, um, Education, with government agencies. So that is what I did. And I think building the trust and building the network is so important. Absolutely. And before we wrap this conversation up, Dr. Maha, what advice would you give someone who says, 
I want to be Dr. Maha one day. Oh, okay. I think everyone should have their own journey. It's it's nice to hear if someone wants to be a science communicator and an international renowned science communicator. Um, passion and willing to work hard. Never give up because if you know really your journey, you see, let me give you an analogy, Waze, right, that gives us the GPS. Uh, if I want to go to a spot in KL, Waze will tell me this is the route. And Waze also gives me different routes. I mm-hmm. can choose my route. But your destination is the same. I still want to go to KLCC because I've got a meeting there. I can't skip that. But Waze gives me different routes. So uh, look at your destination and don't change your destination. But your routes can change. You mm-hmm. change, you take a toll-free road or you take a shortcut, that's okay. But don't change your destination until you've reached a destination. I think that is what I will say. And on that note, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Dashran. That was Dr. Mahalakshmi Arujanan. She's a biotechnologist. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashran Johan, and this has been Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.